hey, I haven't even started speaking yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Give me, okay, it's the coat, right? The, the tie doesn't match. I, you know, I, this is embarrassing. Except Cliff already told me that they would do this. Uh, <laughs> he said, half of the people will leave the moment you step up front. So, uh, uh, you know, Cliff, uh, working with one of these is really different. Um, so uh, if I get lost and it works for like a minute, then it goes and I have to reopen it. So anyway, it is so much fun to be here. Carol, please stand. Uh, Carol and I, uh, Bible Fellowship and now Bridges uh, has been a part of our lives. Um, boy, 1970 like something. Anyway, a long time ago, maybe eight or nine uh, back in the wishing well days. For those of you who go back that far, it's such a joy to be here. Um, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine the other day, a pastor friend, and he was relating to me the story about how he was flying home from somewhere, uh, and he fell asleep, and while he was sleeping, he was dreaming that he was up front at his church uh, giving a sermon. And in the midst of the sermon, he... I mean, in the midst of the, the sermon, he woke up and, and realized that he had been speaking to everybody, uh, and, and it terrified him so much that he woke up, and he was standing in front of his church speaking to everybody. And so, uh, you know, I sure hope that doesn't happen. I've been gone six weeks. Uh, this is my last. We, I go home tomorrow. Uh, I have been seven time zones to the east and 12 time zones to the west. And then uh, I don't know where I, I know where I am. I, I, I don't know when I am. Uh, and so uh, if you see me doze off, just wait. I'll wake up uh, and we'll be back. This is Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful. This, this is one true holiday. It's one of our favorite holidays um, because it, 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 it's still ours, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, the Christmas stuff came up after the Halloween uh, you know, stuff, and, and, and Thanksgiving is just still a family time. So part of what I want to talk on today is Thanksgiving. Uh, Cliff asked me to talk on it, but I would probably have talked on it anyway. Uh, and, and what I want to conclude today with uh, is some things that you might do this Thursday with your family to help celebrate Thanksgiving, not just see how much you can eat, though that's always fun, uh, and good football and that's always fun, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is about family and a time of giving thanks. And so uh, let, it, let me open this up in a word of prayer. Uh, we've done that a few times today, and we'll start. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for uh, your grace and your love, the fellowship of the saints. Um, thank you, Lord, uh, that your mercy, uh, your grace, your loving kindness is renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Pray that uh, I would make sense today, uh, that your people here would be encouraged. As Hebrews says, Father, that this would be stimulating to all of us so that we would be more loving and that uh, we would engage in good deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Cliff, you could not have honored me. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Okay. Oh, he, okay. He's not there. Okay. That's why I can't find him. I'm looking for him. Uh, he could not have said anything. I was crying uh, when he shared that about me because 
that is, you, you couldn't have honored me more than to say something like that. So wherever you are, Cliff, thank you. Um, um, I just got back from the Philippines. Well, that's not exactly right. I was in the Philippines, and then I was here, and then I was in Colombia. Now I'm back here. But we had just finished training 18 Filipinos uh, to be full-time trainers for us with Crossroads. These were doctors. Uh, some taught at medical schools, PhD educators, social workers. Uh, and the greatest joy I have is that I don't have to do that anymore because they can. Uh, and uh, we are close to the point where we will never have to go back to the Philippines again to do trainings. You know, I always want to go back to have that opportunity to build into them. But that's been my life is to see what I have given to others so that they can do it. Uh, and it's always such a joy to come back here because this has been such a, a vital part of my life down through the years. Anyway, uh, are we still up there? I'm still here. Uh, Judy, can you go to the next slide? Uh, I put a PowerPoint together because I don't remember what I'm going to say. Um, you know, and so, uh, uh, oh, my family. These are our daughters. I thought I'd give you a little family background for those of you who remember them in nursery here. Uh, the one on the left is Emily. Uh, she is a nurse practitioner uh, in um, Maryland. Uh, the one in the middle is Bethany. Uh, and uh, I, she's between jobs, but she's, she's come home in order to save up some money in order to go back to school. And so, um, but she's living with us. And my youngest uh, on the right is, did I get the names wrong? The one in the middle is Bethany, right? And the one on the far right is Stephanie. Um, and Stephanie uh, is married. So Emily's married and Stephanie's married. I'll show their husbands in a second. Uh, and she is up in New York City. She's working on her doctorate in physical therapy. And so uh, what we're excited about with Emily is that her nurse practitioner's focus is geriatrics. And, and Carol and I are moving in that direction. Uh, and so that's fun. And then Stephanie's physical therapy. And when I was young, I played football, and I thought that I was invincible, and now all my joints are paying for it. So anyway, I, I'm covered on both ends, and we're looking forward to what Beth's going to do uh, to pick up the slack. Go ahead. You can do the next one, Judy. Uh, that's Jose, my son-in-law, Emily's husband. He's an electrical engineer. And then the next one. Uh, in the middle there, and you're going to barely see him. I, I didn't have a good picture on here. Uh, is that's my mom and dad on the outsides, and then that's Nick. Uh, Nick is a software programmer. He owns his own business. Uh, he works with the cloud, and I try to understand the cloud. Uh, I, well, anyway, let's move on. Okay, so uh, go ahead, hit the next one, Judy. Okay, let's do a little bit of a ministry update. Just put them all up there, and then I'll talk through through them. Um, I work with Crossroads. I am the global director now of Crossroads. Uh, this happened uh, a year, maybe two years ago. Uh, Crossroads is a part of uh, Campus Crusade. Uh, what we do is character ed ed education. Uh, I'll tell you one story just to add a context to it. I was uh, in Russia a few years ago. Those of you who are old enough to remember Khrushchev saying, we will bury you. Uh, I was meeting with the Deputy Minister of Education, and her name was Victoria, and 
she's teaching our curriculum in her classroom. She's trained 2,000 of her teachers to teach our 30-lesson character-based absence curriculum in her classrooms, and we use Jesus as a role model character. So I'm sitting there, and, and so, and you know, we're talking. I say, Victoria, this is weird. Okay, I remember Khrushchev saying we will bury you, you know, and here I am in Russia. Ah, this is really weird. Uh, she goes, yeah, lots have changed. And I said, but, but tell me, why are you using an American Christian curriculum in your classroom? She goes, oh, that's simple. For 75 years, the KGB was our moral conscience. We knew right from wrong by the late night knock on the door and the disappearance of relatives. Now we don't have the KGB. And if, I, if we don't build moral center, excuse me, if we don't build moral center into our youth within a generation, we're going back there. And I said, hmm. I said, well, what about Jesus? And she goes, ah, I don't know. She goes, if Jesus builds moral center in my youth, I don't care. Two things. One, my kids need character. And two, if Jesus can build it into them, I don't care. I hear that Crossroads has been in 70 countries around the world. We trained 47,000, almost 50,000 teachers that we know of. Um, You know, almost 4.5 million kids have gone through the curriculum. Less than 11 of the curriculum is the Jesus film. (laughs) You know, less than 12 of the curriculum is a discussion of the Jesus film. The weirdest thing in the world is we have 47,000 evangelists out there who may not be Christians. I don't understand that. But they showed the Jesus film. And then they discussed the Jesus film, and this has opened up a lot of doors. So anyway, uh, I now have the privilege, uh, as I say, the greatest job in the world because I get to run around telling people what God is doing <laughs> uh, from you know, around the world. And that's, as I just described, we were in the Philippines uh, training nationals to be trainers for us to teach teachers how to teach the curriculum. Uh, We have nationals taking charge. One of the things that I've been working uh, on for a long time is turning this away from a Orlando global-based leadership team to a regional-based leadership team. Uh, uh, I never assume that I or any of us will be around. (laughs) or that politics will stay the same so that if something were to happen, uh, when we were at Poly High School a number, back maybe when Brian was there, uh, you know, uh, the principal called me in one day and said, you're not allowed to be in the school anymore. And I said, why? He said, because I don't want you here. I said, what you're doing is illegal. He goes, I know, you'll have to take me to court. (laughs) I learned then that I needed to have insiders. (laughs) As long as I'm an outsider trying to get in, I can be thrown out at any day. Then we went to Eastern Europe under the commie days. I had the same thing. And so part of my goal has always been nationals doing it, regionalization. And we are uh, we're really close in a few areas around the world where uh, nationals have taken complete control of this in the region. And so sometimes when I share not, uh, uh, the numbers, I share the numbers that I know of. They don't always report, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I really don't know what's going on out there. It's exciting. Uh, Crossroads has been, for the last five years, uh, part of Jesus Film. Uh, and um, uh, a year and a half ago, G- Jesus Film took a, 
a closer look at itself and said, who are we and where we fit in things and what we want to do. And, and, and they, there uh, uh, was not the right word. Uh, they honed, there you go, that's a good word. They honed their goals and objectives. And when they did that, we are now outside of those goals and objectives. Uh, Jesus film is great at media, and they're making more of it, and they're going to short film. They're moving away from just showing the Jesus film and making short films. Uh, and uh, they're being used in a lot of places. They made one for us. Uh, it's a silent short film uh, that we're using in multiple places around the world. A lot of fun. Uh, it's on how one person can make a difference. Uh, if you've seen The Artist, uh, it, it's The Artist convinces that silent can work. <laughs> The beauty of, sil of silent, you don't need to translate it. Uh, and so, um, so, we, so they've done that for us. But in that context, we are a user of media, not a producer of media. And so we are in a transition, and part of what uh, my bosses are working on right now is where we will fall within Crusade. Uh, and um, we are now under U.S. ministries in Campus Crusade. Uh, and, and people say, where? And I say, we're under U.S. ministries because nobody's figured out where within U.S. ministries. So this is a prayer request for you, for me. It is very difficult uh, to try to plan, to strategize, and to lead something uh, that has its, our total focus is overseas, being run by a group whose total focus is the U.S., uh, and it's weird. Uh, um, I'm under authority, as you all know how that works. <laughs> uh, and so we'll figure out how to make this work. But please pray for me and for us as Crossroads. They love us. It's not an issue of that. It's an issue of uh, trying to figure out the mechanics of this. Uh, okay, next slide, please. Okay, giving thanks. Uh, what time do I close? For those of you who were with me back way back when, I haven't changed. I have no sense of time, uh, and, and, and I can go forever. So is it 12? Jeff, is it 12 or 12.15? Oh, okay. All right. All right. It's just off by an hour. It's off by an hour. Oh, okay. This is great. All right. Thank you. Because I'm looking at it. Thank you very much. It's been a joy being here. Sorry, I've gone over 25 minutes. I don't know how I did that. Uh, as I said, I probably slept 20 minutes. Okay. Um, if you turn, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I uh, put this together on my iPad, uh, which I just got, and I haven't figured it all out yet. Uh, and typically, I would put the verses in the, in, in the thing, but PowerPoints I know, iPads I don't. Uh, and I couldn't figure out how to grab the verses and put them in there. So, But you all have your Bibles. It is such, honestly, it's a pleasure coming in today and seeing how many of you brought your Bibles along with you. I don't see that that much anymore. Uh, let me read Romans 1, 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creatures. Uh, look at verse 21 with me for a second. This is a verse that jumped out to me years and years and years ago, and it has um, uh, it's been a guiding verse. It's kind of uh, for me down through the years. For all they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. How do we know when we honor God as God? Giving thanks. <laughs> I know that I am honoring God as God based upon my thankful spirit. <laughs> and it became... For those of you who had chemistry and actually remember any of it, it became a litmus test for me. I often, uh, there were, I was at a consultation in Colombia with a bunch of crusade folk from all around the world and we're looking at the future together. And there were times in that thing that I was really anxious. I was upset over what I was hearing, uh, trying to, you know, communicate things. And I found this, and, and, and I said, hmm, my spirit is not thankful. I'm not honoring God as God. <laughs> uh, oh, I need to get this back in line. And so one of the things that God really struck me with is how do we know, how do I know as an individual that I am honoring God as God? And it's very simple. Look at your spirit and see if it's thankful. If you have an angry spirit, if you have a jealous spirit, if, if your spirit is not one of thankfulness, then you most likely are not honoring God as God. <laughs> and as it says here, if you don't honor God as God, what happens? They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And that's what happens to us when we don't have thankfulness in our heart, we become foolish. <laughs> we say stupid things, we act stupidly, we, you know, uh, you know, and that is the progress, the progression of when we don't honor God as God. So this is coming into this week of Thanksgiving. It's a question then is how can I control what's going on inside of me so that I can have a thankful spirit because because... I'm honoring God as God, okay? So go ahead, next slide, Judy. Um, let me give you a context for some of this for me. And, and put them all up there, Judy. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pick and choose. Um, these last few years for Carol and me have been terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, Carol's mom, a few years ago, uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I, as I said, I'm bad with time. Uh, she uh, had a mini stroke, fell in the garage, hit her head against the garage door, and for three days this week, preceding Thanksgiving, for three days she laid in the garage in Colorado Springs, unconscious. A close friend of hers went by the house to try to connect with her, couldn't get in, and so he called my brother-in-law, who's my sister-in-law, went over, and they found her laying on the floor. We thought we lost her. <laughs> Uh, Carol flew out there for Thanksgiving. Um, 
Since then, they, uh, they thought she was going to be, you know, in the hospital the rest of her life, maybe lose an arm. Uh, she's fine. Uh, but uh, um, so that would happen. And then my parents, my, my mom had a vertebrae collapse in her back, uh, and so all the nerves got pinched, and she was in so much pain uh, that uh, she was on heavy narcotics. They couldn't do anything for her. Uh, the amazing thing with medicine today is they put two little pins in where that vertebrae was, put a balloon in there. I don't know how. Filled the balloon with cement. I don't know how. It raised that back up. She has had no pain since. This went on for like a month while they were trying to figure out what was going on, and it just all but killed my dad. Uh, and my dad, uh, they found him in the kitchen, passed out. They hauled him off to the, you know, the hospital. My sister calls me on the phone and says, Jim, this is going on with Dad. He's passed out. He's here in the hospital. And then she screams. And, and my dad had flatlined. Uh, and all the bells and whistles went off. Uh, and uh, for those of you who are into computers, his heart rebooted before all the doctors got there. Uh, and they turned out just need to put a pacemaker in. But uh, my, my parents have had just all kinds kinds of things in the midst of this. Uh, you all maybe are familiar with what's gone with, on with Carol, but last year uh, at this time, uh, she had had her aortic valve replaced. A month before she had it replaced, she had a terrible AFib attack. We were in the hospital. Eight months before that, she had shoulder surgery done to have a repair there. Two months before that, she had a small intestine thing that needed to be repaired. It's just you know, uh, my daughter, Beth, uh, was engaged to a guy. Uh, two weeks after she got engaged, she broke it off because the guy was Jekyll Hyde. Uh, it was really strange that we knew him. I gave my approval. It was really weird. Uh, and then, but the moment he got engaged, he became this massive control freak. And she broke off the engagement, for which we were grateful. And a month later, my youngest daughter got married. You know, uh, you know, we have had, I just told you about crossroads and, you know, finances. We all deal with finances. These are bad times. Uh, you know, uh, but how do we, uh, part of the reason I'm going through all this is because my life, our life is not because we're in ministry perfect. <laughs> you know, uh, we have been through it the last few years. In one sense, I am as emotionally numb as I have ever been in my life. Because I've had so many things thrown at me, and it's how do you manage this? You go from one end where a daughter just, you know, breaks off an engagement to a month later you marry one. Uh, good, bad, you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, Carol's little thing with her intestine, uh, her valve where things were coming out of the the liver and the pancreas, that valve closed, and all that was backing up into her pancreas. And if that didn't get fixed, she would have got pancreatitis. And my daughter, the nurse, said, you know, nurses talk about if they were to wish a death on anybody, it'd be pancreatitis because it's the most painful death that they've ever seen. She was going into that. How do you manage that? You know, and then we're trying to get it operated on, and the doctors are just calling us up and canceling appointments, and well, we figured this out. So it's been really rough, really rough last few years uh, relationally. Physically, financially, work-wise, uh, 
in every area of our lives, there has been huge pain. Huge. Somebody pulled the carpet out from under, the rug out from underneath you. How do you give thanks in that? How do you learn to give thanks? The only reason I'm able to stand here today and talk about this is because God has taught me a few things. I want to walk through the things that God taught me. Go ahead, do the next slide. How to give thanks. Um, there are three things I'm going to talk about today. Uh, so I'm going to, here's what I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to talk about it, and then we'll come back and look at it. The first one is remember your sal- sal- salvation. Okay? That's the first one. The second one is remember that God is in control. And the third one is remember our hope. Okay? Let's look at these a little bit more. Go ahead, Judy. Uh, all right. Some of you, like my children, gave their lives to Christ in the womb, uh, you know, and you don't know anything other than I became a Christian as a baby. I don't know. Others of us, like Carol and I, we came to Christ in our early 20s, and we lived good, solid, pagan lives, <laughs> you know, uh, and we remember what our lives was like. I remember the fall of 1972, walking across the campus of Penn State, thinking that suicide was a better life than what I had. Um, you know, um, and all of us who came to Christ later have memories of that. We need to remember what our lives were like beforehand. Sometimes, like me, that was 40 years ago. It's hard to remember back. Uh, and so, First, uh, Second Peter chapter 1, I think like verses 9 and 10, the verses will be up there in a little bit, says, it is good that you remember your salvation. Too often for us, as we get along in life, we forget what we were like. <laughs> we forget what we were like, and we forget the contrast. <laughs> You know, so one of the things that will help us is um, to remember the contrast between what we were like then and what we're like now. Go ahead, next one, Judy. Uh, oh, well, okay, we'll remember them all. Uh, the next one is remember God's choice of you. God only had one moral obligation toward us. God's one moral obligation toward us is, was this. And the day that you eat of it, you shall die. It is his only moral obligation toward us. God had no moral obligation to redeem us. God had no moral obligation to do anything good for us. But he so loved the world that he gave his son. <laughs> and so... It was a love decision, not a moral decision. Part of, for those of us who may have grown up and never known anything else, we've got to remember that, for all of us, that um, we are here today and we have what we have simply because God took the initiative to reach out to us. We have nothing lovely in us that drew God's heart toward us, you know. All of us who are married here, I can tell you the first day I saw Carol. I remember that as clear as day, Uh, you know. 
there was something about her that drew me to her. Yeah, it still does. Uh, but God had none of that with us. There was nothing lovely about us. It was God's unconditional love for us. It reached out to sinners and drew us in. We need to remember our salvation because when we remember that, when we remember it, hey, we give thanks. <laughs> you know, uh, I should be lost. Um, I should be trying to figure out what life is all about. I should be hopeless. Um, and I'm not. And so sometimes in the midst of things, the simplest thing to do is to go back and say, I didn't, we, we, you know, I was lost without hope, yet by grace I'm here. That resets <laughs> the spirit within us. <laughs> and when we do that, what are we doing? We're honoring God as God. <laughs> okay, remembering who he is and we're honoring God. Go to the next slide. Uh, embrace God's control. One of the things that is hard for us to remember is this world is broken. This world is broken. Go ahead and next, hit the next one, Judy. Okay. Uh, and it's broken by God's choice. It's not broken outside of God's hand. God is the, actually the one that broke it. He said, in the day you eat of this, you will die. Who made the rule? God did. Who, who set in place the brokenness? Now, it was Adam's choice, and so he bears responsibility. But the protocol, when you do this, boom, 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 this is going to happen. There were five deaths. If you go back to Genesis 3, there were five deaths that ha- 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 happened. The first one was, now, when they ate of it, their eyes were open, and they noticed they were naked, okay? Uh, and then God comes knocking, and they hide themselves. And then God says, who did this? And not me, her. Not her, you know. Uh, and so there was a, a, a personal death. They went from, I mean, okay, just think about it. Just for one second, how many of you would be comfortable sitting in here naked? I, that'd be really freaky. But every one of our animals walk around naked and unashamed. And that's the way we were made. We were made to be naked and unashamed. And the first thing that happened is we embraced shame. We became, you know, they, they were full of shame. And they hid themselves. And then they blamed one another. Then when God came, he, they hid from him. Then God cursed the environment. He said, no more is this environment going to work the way it was intended to work. By the sweat of your brow, and it's still not going to work. In your relationships, it's still not going to work. And then death. There are five deaths. All five of those deaths are in the world around us today. Okay? And part of what we've got to embrace, and that's why I chose the word embrace, is we've got to embrace the belief and the knowledge and the truth is that the world is broken. Sometimes we don't give thanks because we forget that the world is broken. <laughs> uh, and it's broken at God's hand. But there's one other thing. If you go to Isaiah 40, I love this passage. My probably most favorite passage of Scripture. Uh, let me read one section to this from you. Go to uh, Isaiah 40. Uh, and uh, 
I've got to turn this passcode off. Um, Isaiah 40, 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it been not told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them away like stubble. The earth may look like it's going down a, 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 a precipitous slope, uh, you know, a slope that is going to crash and it's going to be destroyed. And we worry about that and we fear about the future and where are we going as a country? Where is this world going? I travel. I sat in the Philippines at a sermon the other week and, and basically a pastor of a 30,000-member church got up and said, the U.S. is about ready to die. <laughs> I said, okay, this is Philippines. And he's talking about the world economic situation. He is actually uh, a, a pastor who... Uh, this church has no full-time pastors. All the pastors are businessmen or people out in the community. Uh, and this guy runs a major business. And he says, when I look at the world economically, uh, where the U.S. is going and its policies, I don't. Unless it turns around quickly, it's going to be like Greece. Well, I hear people talking that. I'm not expecting to hear that in the Philippines. Uh, what does that do? Where's my investments? And how do I? And what about my future? And, Carol and I talk about our grandchildren. We don't have grandchildren yet. We like grandchildren, but our kids are rebellious. Uh, you know, uh, well, I talk with them, but they get mad at me. So, uh, you know, uh, what kind of world are we, you know? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the world? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. God's in control. And even though we have all these things going on and the world is broken, he still sits in control. He makes the judges of the earth meaningless. So when we think rightly about the world, A, being broken, and B, that God's still in control of it, that brings us to a place where we can give thanks. That brings us to a place where we can give thanks. But if we want to control everything and we think the world's out of control, uh, then we get afraid and we think, what can I do to manhandle this thing back into control? Now, the last point I want to make on this is, go ahead, next one. We can still make a difference. Okay. Uh, If you would, turn to Titus uh, uh, chapter 2. Come on. Uh, Starting verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men, training us to uh, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, 
waiting for your blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Stop there. Don't look. Okay? Okay. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for what? Good deeds. Sometimes I love taking scripture and saying, what is the most logical thing to follow? (laughs) Good deeds aren't, aren't to me the most logical thing to follow here. (laughs) The most logical, you know, he's redeemed us, who purified him from every lawless state of people for his own possession, who are zealous for the glory of God, who are zealous for missions, who are zealous for, ah, what are they zealous for? good deeds. Where do we do these good deeds? Where, where do we do these good deeds? We do them at work. <laughs> we do them at work. We bring the glory of God into our work. <laughs> you know, we, we do our work unto God and we live in such a way at work that is God-like. That's, that's it. We do it at home. We love our wives as Christ led the church, and we honor and respect our husbands as, as Jesus honored and respected the Father. You know, we do it in our community. We seek the health and well-being of our community. He has a grace of God as a peer teaching us to deny certain things, training us to do certain things. He has purified himself so that we can engage in our communities and do good works. We as Christians ought not to be sitting on the sidelines saying, oh man, you know, uh, the world's going down the tubes and I'm just going to turn inwards and I'm going to, you know, fill up my pantry with food and I'm going to go buy a cabin up and, you know, not this remove ourselves. This says right here, God has redeemed us zealous, not in, you know, zealous for good deeds. So though the world is broken, God broke it, we can't fix it, we still have an obligation to engage in good deeds because that's what the grace of God does in our lives. And so at your work, in your home, in your community, in your family, uh, wherever God has you, God's intent is you would bring the glory of God into that. (laughs) And by that, you bring a bit of redemption (laughs) And you can raise the climate. Can we fix it? No. Can we make a difference? Yes. And part of the reason why we don't give thanks is because we feel helpless. <laughs> and part of what we need to see is we are not, we got the spirit of the living God in us. My goodness. The glory of God resides in me. I walk into a place, I am an ambassador of the most high God. I'm a son of the king of the kings. Who is higher in this place than me? Unless I'm with you. And then we're all equal. But when I leave here and I go into the world, my goodness, the Spirit of God is in me. I can make a difference. I can't fix it, but I can make a difference. That helps me to give thanks. So the first thing, remember your salvation. The second thing, remember God's in control. And the third thing, go ahead, Judy. Uh, Remember our hope. 
Uh, go ahead, put it up. Sometimes we are not thankful because we look at the world and we say it can't be fixed. Uh, it's terrible. And we look at this world as the end and how we can fix it. But this is not. This world, God's going to redo this world. Next one, Judy. Uh, I put up the next one, too. Uh, back to the Titus verse. I kept that one there. Remember what he says there? He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our blessed hope? Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I have two daughters that got married. That's meaningful to me. Uh, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that have passed away. That's our hope. Okay. We live in a broken world, but the broken world is not the end. <laughs> you know, We can make the broken world somewhat better, but even the better is not the end. <laughs> the end is a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness reigns, where God's in control, where he's no longer out there And we know, you know, Jesus turned to Thomas and he said, Thomas, you believe because you touched me. Blessed are those who have never touched me and yet believe. That's us. We still look forward to that day. We can touch him. Where he will be in our midst. Where it won't be anymore that... We pray and we know he hears us and he talks to us through his word and through others and through circumstances. But someday we'll see him and we'll say a question and we'll see the answer. His lips will be moving. Someday there won't be any more sin. Um, That thing inside of me that loves Jesus in the next moment curses my brother. (laughs) Uh, James says it ought not to be and yet there it is. hate that uh, you know I love my wife and I was just out in Latin America where girls don't wear enough clothes um, and uh, they show off parts they ought not to show off uh, I, and my eyes see it and I oh, you know and I, I'm looking for the day where I don't have that anymore <laughs> you know uh, I'm looking forward to those days that's our hope Our hope is when there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. We can't forget that. And when we take, you know, somebody has said somewhere incorrectly that Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I would propose that Christians aren't heavenly minded enough. Uh, That the more heavenly minded you become, the more earthly good you become. 
Remember, the grace of God has come teaching us to deny a few things, to do a few things. Why? So we can engage in good deeds. So the more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you are. And remembering things like this helps us to be earthly good because we have hope. This isn't the end. The world is hopeless. We have hope. We can look out there and say, this is, it's broken. God's going to fix it. So these three things, remembering our salvation, remembering God's in control, and remembering our hope, enables us to give thanks, and then we can honor God as God. Go ahead, next one, Judy. Ah, bring them all up there. We often think of thanksgiving as an emotional thing. Oh, I just don't feel thankful. <laughs> There's nothing in this that makes me thankful. I very intentionally put up there, thanksgiving is a reasoned choice. <laughs> thanksgiving is something we use our mind for. What do we use it for? One, we remember our salvation. That's a mind thing. We remember God's in control. That's a mind thing. We remember that God's going to fix everything. When you think life has treated you wrongly, remember your salvation. Do you deserve anything else other than wrong? See, when you think you deserve something other than wrong, you've forgotten you're saved by grace through faith and nothing of yourself. <laughs> Okay, And so you aren't thinking rightly about God, thus you're not honoring him because you think life should give you something. <laughs> okay, The second one, when you are frustrated that life doesn't work rightly or as it should, you have, because of the image of God in you, you know how things should be because of the spirit of God within you. You know how things should be. And you struggle with things aren't as they should be. Hallelujah, you should struggle with that. Things aren't as they should be. But if you stay in things aren't as they should be, it's going to be hard to be thankful. <laughs> and so life often has a lot of things. <laughs> I uh, taught a series here a long time ago on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I did do a very good job of it, and it didn't go over very well. Uh, but uh, partly because so many of us think of Ecclesiastes as a book that shouldn't be in the Bible. Uh, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, how could that be in the Bible? Uh, you know, but you know what I see in the book of Ecclesiastes? Life stinks. It's not just. It's not fair. It's not right. The guy who's worked his tail off doesn't get it, and the guy who's done nothing gets it. <laughs> okay? Uh, Ecclesiastes is full of the injustices of life, and his conclusion is, this is my conclusion. Love God, keep his commandments. I can live with that. I can live with that. This is, remember that though the world is broken, God is in control and he's engaged. We don't have a God that's just sitting up there saying, I hope they figure this out. Uh, and then the last one is when you've given up hope, remember that he's going to make all things new. Uh, that this is not the end. There's three things. Remember your salvation. Remember he's in control. And remember that we have a new hope. Last slide, Judy. Okay, so this Thanksgiving, uh, put them all up there. 
Okay. Here's what I'd like to suggest this Thanksgiving that you do. And I don't know what you do as, you know, family traditions. But I think you as adults ought to share your testimonies with your kids. This is how I became a Christian. This is what I'm thankful for. I am thankful for my salvation. Okay? I think it'd be a great thing to do. So we're sitting around a table, you know, and, you know, we thank God for family, and we thank God for health and wealth and, you know, all those things. That's nice. I mean, those are good things. Uh, but my recommendation, one of the things I suggest, is when you're sitting around a family, ratchet it up a notch and say, you know what I'm thankful for? I was lost without hope, and Jesus and his great graciousness came down to save me, and this is what he did. Okay, it's a lot easier for those of us who had a bad before the good. <laughs> uh, but there's still opportunity that we need to share with one another what God has done. The second thing over Thanksgiving that you can do is remember God's activities in your life. You know, what has God done for us this year? You know, you know how has he taken care of us? How has God in, been in control? And if you had a a few years like us, sometimes those things are hard to find. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, I just like a little peace and quiet, you know. Uh, you know, um, for all of you who are bosses, you know, I, I, I would just like somebody not asking me a question. Uh, so, you know, having to make another decision about something that I haven't had enough time to think about. Uh, you know, I it's just it's, Quiet, I want quiet, you know. Uh, so wh- how, you know, thankful. You know, what has God done for you? Think about that. God's done things. That's how we can honor God. And the last thing we can share about, you know, our dreams are what the new world will be like. You know, God hasn't told us much. He's told us enough. Uh, but there are things that we can talk about our dreams of what it's going to be like when he makes everything new. You noticed out of this whole sermon, the time I started crying, maybe you didn't notice, it was during that part. I really look forward to this. It is good for each of us, for the others, to see that kind of thing. Especially our children. <laughs> you know, When they see as engaged as we are in this life, and then yet to hear us talk about, oh my goodness, I can't wait. It sets a framework in the minds of our children that they need to hear. Uh, That they understand that here is mom and dad. And they struggle with all this stuff. And yet they have hope. (laughs) Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that uh, we can give thanks. Thank you that uh, you are good to us. Uh, and uh, we love you. I pray that this week as we enter into Thanksgiving um, as a day that we would do that, but I pray even more, Father, that uh, as we go throughout today that we would listen to our hearts and we'd say, am I thankful or am I not thankful? And what do I need to do to get back to thankfulness? In Jesus' name, amen.